Welcome to Tales of History and Imagination. Eccentric Tales from History by Simone Whitlow. Today's tale is set in the Asiatic town of Labissa in Bithynia, on the periphery of what is now Turkey. The dates sometime around 182 BCE. Hannibal Barker, perhaps one of the all-time great generals in world history, is pacing the room like a caged Barbary lion. His life from the age of nine has led up to this point, ever since his father made him take an oath that he would never be a friend of Rome. At the time, Rome was a republic with its greatest days ahead of it. The tough, militaristic state had yet to really flex, to show what they were capable of. Carthage was already a superpower, but one on the decline. The two powers had come to blows over the Carthaginian island of Sicily, now part of modern-day Italy. For 23 years, the superpowers butted heads. They fought on land and sea. Finally, the young lion, the Roman Republic, got the better of Carthage. Hannibal's father, Hamilcar, had been present at the Peace of Latatius where Carthage was ordered out of Sicily for good, to be peaceful to Syracuse and her allies, and to pay 56 tons of silver over 20 years as reparations, and also to hand over all their weapons. A leading general in the war against Rome, Hamilcar agreed to all terms bar one. He and his men refused to disarm under any circumstances. Peace had been a relative term for Carthage, and as soon as the First Punic War ended, Hamilcar was sent out to quash several rebellions from his own people. The unsightliness of it all left him with a lifelong hatred of the Romans, which he passed on to his young son. Pacing in that Bithynian compound, one wonders, did Hannibal cast his mind back to his youth? As a young general, he marched an army of 38,000 infantry, 8,000 cavalry, and of course the 38 elephants over the Alps hitting the Romans where they never saw an attack coming. To cross the Alps with an army and war elephants was madness, utterly suicidal, and yet he did it. On the other side, Hannibal's army wrecked havoc. Though half his army died on the Alps crossing, his remaining force made short work of the Romans time and time again. Ticinus, Trebia, Lake Trasimir, nothing stood in the way of him sacking Rome itself other than the fact he left his siege engines in the Pyrenees. And the oligarchs back home refused him the financial backing to build new ones. Because of this, the war in Italy would eventually wind down to a stalemate. If one's life flashes before one's eyes when facing your end, the Battle of Cannae must have loomed disproportionately large. A master class and completely obliterating a much bigger army Military strategists with much greater understanding of such things than myself still rate Cannae as one of the all-time greatest battles in history. The Romans outnumbered Hannibal and his allies by almost two to one. They were slaughtered at a rate of more than 11 to one in the battle. Hannibal's cavalry encircled the Romans from the outside. Within Roman ranks, a band of 500 deserters revealed hidden short swords and cut them to ribbons. Death came from all directions. Pliny would write of 67,000 dead Romans, 
Polybius of 5,700 dead Carthaginians. In the aftermath, many Italians jumped ship. The Romans were forced to turn to guerrilla warfare against Carthage, never again fielding a large army against Hannibal on Roman soil. But the Romans doggedly hung in there. They refused all peace treaties, enlisted all their men into military service. To use another's phrase, they kept calm and carried on. Carthage's oligarchs continued to respond indifferently to Hannibal's requests for the siege engines needed to topple Rome itself. In 202 BC, Rome eventually landed a king hit at Zama, modern-day Tunisia. The Roman Scipio Africanus succeeded where Hannibal failed, and the oligarchs declared peace. Hannibal must have cast his mind back to his middle age as an avenging populist politician. He limited the term an oligarch could rule from life to two one-year terms. He taxed them so that they would pay their fair share. And just as his reforms were bearing fruit, the accusation came from Rome that he was colluding with Antiochus III of Syria to overthrow the Roman Empire. He found himself exiled, forced to spend his remaining years on the lamb, a soldier of fortune for whomever could afford him and would be willing to harbour him, knowing sooner or later Rome would come looking for him. Antiochus did take him in for a while, but Artaxius I of Armenia. For a while he hid out in the pirate's den, which was Crete, before finding employ with Prusius of Bithynia. But eventually the Romans came in great numbers. Bithynia eventually succumbed to the Roman yoke, and Prusius eventually betrayed Hannibal anywhere between 183 and 181 BC. They told him, you go find him yourselves. The Roman soldiers tracked him to his compound and demanded his surrender. One tale has it in a live-by-the-sword moment. Hannibal had recently injured his hand by his own sword, and the wound was septic. Another tells in his final moments he downed a vial of poison. Whatever the case, the Romans entered the premises, cautiously, to a deathly silence. The old lion had passed. A note on the table read, Let us release the Romans from their long anxiety since it tries their patience too much to wait for an old man's death. Thanks for listening. This has been Tales of History and Imagination. All episodes written and narrated by me, Simone Whitlow. All music, yours truly. Visit the show at historyandimagination.com. You can follow me on social media, links in the show notes, and get access to exclusive bonus content via my Patreon, also in the notes. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a like on your podcatcher of choice and share the episode as word of mouth is the best way to help shows like this grow. Love to see you back in two weeks' time for more tales of history and imagination.